popolitikin.com. Welcome back to popolitikin.com. Make sure you subscribe on YouTube, like on Facebook, uh, iTunes, subscribe, all that good stuff. I'm not politic with my homie Rossi, the Skull Crusher Brown. How you doing? I'm good, brother. How you doing? I'm wonderful, man. So I just want to give them a little about your background a little bit. You are a pro wrestler, wrestled for NWA, WCW, Ring of Honor, had the longest title ring with uh, the Skull Crushers for 777 yeah. days. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. So before we get into all that, the good stuff, man, I just want to, we always like to break it off with an icebreaker, <laughs> interesting fact about you and me. So I just want to, what is your, who's your favorite comedian? Mine is uh, Dave Chappelle. Oh man, is it? Does it have to be one? Can it be two? That's what I was thinking too. I was like, it's kind of hard because I, I was kind of Dave Chappelle and Gavin Hart. So I guess you can name two. I, I'm I'm stupid this way, but I always do like my favorite white comedian and my favorite <laughs> black. Comedian. I just always have since I was a kid. Not even to be like racist, it's just like two separate categories because. You know, comedy is so, it's so vast, and it's, comedy can be, so, there's, you know, who's more funny than who, and what, and where, you know, and it's all comedy, so, I would separate my favorite white comedian from my favorite black comedian, but then there's, you know, people that are in sitcoms that are hilarious, but they don't. They're not in the same category as like stand-up comedians. So comedy is just so big. So yeah, I do have my two categories. My favorite um, black comedian is Corey Holcomb, man. Mm, yeah, I like him. He just has me <laughs> tripping because he, he keeping off chains. Yes, he he says stuff that every man <laughs> wants to say, and no, they. <laughs> He just has me tripping, and he loves to get heat. He knows how to get heat with women. It, it's great. And my favorite white comedian is Jim Jeffries, hmm. the Australian dude that uh, he played in legit, and he does a bunch of stand-up specials. Um, he's pretty damn funny also. Okay. And where's your hometown? Like, where are you, where are you from? I'm from Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Um I lived there for about uh, 38, 39 years, but now I live out in Arizona, Okay, out in the night sun. And then can you just go into your background, let us know like how you got started in pro wrestling, <laughs> like what was your influences? All right, um, my influences, well first my father used to take me to wrestling when I was a baby, and that was the first thing I have anything, so... Um, it was like born into me. But I knew what I wanted to be when I was, I could barely walk. So uh, my father would take me to wrestling. And at the time, when I was a baby, um, I lived in the AWA territory, which is the Midwest in Milwaukee. And I remember Black Jack Mulligan and Black Jack Lanza. And those names stuck in my head. And, um, I would say they were my first influences. And the crazy thing is um, Barry Wyndham was another one of my influences later on when I was, you know, 11, 12, 13, 14. But I didn't know that Black Jack Mulligan was his father. Right. And um, <laughs> that just tripped me out that both of those dudes had a major influence on the way I carried myself and the things I did and the things I did in high school to people. <laughs> um, and they were father-son, but yeah, that tripped me out. Um, another one of my influences, man, it, it that's another big thing. Like, my <laughs> whole personality, everything I do in life, every reaction I give, and it's Pro wrestling developed me as a human being. So um, I'm just like a, a melting pot of everything I've ever learned and saw and sunk, sucked in my body and in my memory from childhood up until, you know, maybe 10, 15 years ago. And I'm just a big melting pot of all of that. So I, 
man, you know, of course, Dusty Rhodes influenced me, but then I used to get in a conflict when he was fighting the horseman because at that time I was like 12 and 13 and I started to like the bad guys and then I questioned my morality as a human being. Like, why do I like Ric Flair? It's not right, man. I was for real questioning myself because, like I said, wrestling influenced my life. It, that's, you know, that's what taught me everything. Life is at work. I mean, they manipulated my brain so bad. <laughs> so I, I was questioning, like, man, and Nikita Koloff, this dude. He's from Russia, but why should I hate him? Because he's from Russia. He don't cheat. He just beat people up and beat them. Man, he's not actually even from Russia. Right, right. <laughs> so I'm like, man, that dude is so cool, man. I, but then I like Sting. I don't want them two to fight each other, but now they got to. It, it, it was crazy, man. So so many things and people influenced me, and, you know, I went through the era of the All Japan stuff with uh, Kabashi and uh, Stan Hansen and Steve Williams and uh, Terry Gordy and uh, Tawei and man, I, I love the strong style Japanese wrestling. So I, I, everything influenced me because I didn't do what people do now. It, pro wrestling was pro wrestling. It didn't matter that a big fat guy was wrestling another big fat guy because you wanted to see someone win, but you cared about you cared about the it wasn't the how do you say it, it wasn't the anger the quality of the match wasn't what was in your mindset when you were watching wrestling when wrestling was good. It was good versus evil. I want this dude to beat this dude. Uh, you didn't care that it was King Kong Bundy versus Uncle Elmer. Right. You're not going to, that, oh man, I'm not going to watch that match. What, they, what can they do? They can't fly around. No, you had an interest. You wanted to see Uncle Elmer somehow beat King Kong Bundy and it didn't have to be you know 800 spots and false <laughs> finishes you know so my your it, it had your soul and it had your emotion in it and it wasn't you didn't judge matches by match quality you judged matches by damn that dude cheated to beat him and I knew he had him beat and you know what I mean? That's how you went into the next week, not saying, oh, man, I hope Adrian Adonis has a great match against Brutus Beefcake next week. No, you say, I want to see Brutus Beefcake whoop Adrian Adonis's ass next week. You didn't say, I hope they have a five-star classic. I can't wait to see those two go because they're both great workers. <laughs> so why, why, you think it, why is it like that now? Because we let the nerds in. That's why when the standards were lowered, look, man, this is the only thing that nerds can manipulate and change the culture of because it's a manipulated sport. I'll say forms of uh, mixed martial arts are also manipulated, but at least they keep their stuff in a weight category. You don't hear Conor McGregor talking shit to Brock Lesnar because he's not going to beat Brock Lesnar in real life. No matter how tough he is, right. Brock will beat his ass. <laughs> but 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 now you reverse that and say Rey Mysterio on the Big Show, but may Rey Mysterio somehow beats the Big Show. That's what's fucked up about wrestling. I'm sorry if I cussed it. I'm not supposed to. No, you to. all good, man. Um, that's what's messed up about wrestling. We, you can't, you just kill every, I don't, there is no circumstance where Mayweather should knock out the big show. I'm sorry. I don't care if he's a world champion boxer. He's 375 pounds and a foot and a half shorter than you. It ain't possible. In real life, in no other form, except for that 
which explodes. Yeah, explodes the I always tell. That's why I tell my boy that too, man. That's what like that's messing me up with wrestling because I'm like, man, like you you gotta play into that. It's like if you got like like Brock Lesnar and Big Show and these guys, like they shouldn't be losing to them. It's like it's impossible. No. Yeah, it makes it like, come on, man, like don't be buying to that shit. I don't like that shit either. I always get mad. <laughs> <laughs> it get me mad, like really. It, I know it. I, honestly, it it it. it. Just say Brock Lesnar and Seth Rollins had a street fight. You think Brock Lesnar gonna let Seth Rollins jump off of garbage cans and flip over his back and side kick his leg and slap his thigh? Or you think Brock just gonna grab him by his throat and just hang him in the air until he just is lifeless and let go and he's done? There's no circumstance where those two should ever wrestle each other. It's just unbelievable. I'm sorry. There is. I don't care if, if it's Bruce Lee. He shouldn't be fighting Brock Lesnar under any circumstances. That's why there should be divisions. I say there should be heavyweight 220 and above. It don't matter what you weigh after 220. Middleweight 220 down to like 190. And lightweight is 190 and under. Anybody under 190, I don't care. If you're tough enough to survive in that division, you can do so. But nobody can ever go from the lightweight division to wrestle a heavyweight wrestler unless they beat everyone in their division and went through the middleweight division to get to the heavyweight because that's the only way you can build a monster that can possibly beat a big heavyweight is by having him go through everyone in two divisions below him, like Conor McGregor's doing, and now you know he can go up or down because he's legit. Hmm. But he can't go to heavyweight still because he can't go. He Get can't the size. exactly. So I want you to talk about your, uh, I guess they always say break. Like, how did you get, who trained you, and how did you make, get your break into pro wrestling? All right. Um, the year was 1989. I was a freshman in high school, and WCW came to Milwaukee. And um, we were hanging out by the side stage area where the wrestlers peeked through and watched the matches and stuff. So we were standing around, and uh, we were back there, and, and we were like, ooh, I wish I could help take down that ring. And then the guy heard me. He's like, all right, meet us after the show, and you can help take down. I was like, for real? So there was like six or seven of us, so we all helped take down the ring. So after the show, the dude gave us a $100 bill, which we were fucking poor kids for $100. He's like, all right, go buy yourself some beers and uh, – Next time, be here at 1, 1 p.m. the day before the show. I was like, wow. All right. So, you know, the next time, like, three people came. Then the next time, to me and another guy. Then the next time, it was just me. So um, I would help set up the ring with another guy who was an independent worker, which I didn't know what the hell that was at the time because I um, – intentionally never wanted to be smart enough to the business because I wanted to be a wrestler since I was ever born and was conscious of what I was doing. And I prepared myself to get into wrestling thinking it was real because otherwise, why the hell would I get into something um, that I knew was bullshit? I, I, if I knew pro wrestling would be what it is now, hell no. I, if I was if I was nineteen right now and I decided on a sport to get into, it wouldn't be pro wrestling because I wouldn't consider it a sport. I right now I consider it a gymnastic choreographed stunt show. It's not a sport. Um, not in America anyway. I not anywhere. When you don't when it doesn't matter if you win or lose and just the quality of the match matters. It's an exhibition of a gymnastics meet where they judge fucking matches or gymnastics routines. They judge them and give them a 9.4, and there goes your three-star match. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So um, <laughs> I, 
I got in the business thinking it was real. And one time we set up the ring and like big Mr. Hughes came in and the big boss man came in and like Ron Simmons and Butch Reed and everybody was laying around in the ring. And I was just standing on the apron. I always minded my business. I, I was I was always respectful of the business, business except for one time, which I'll tell you if I remember. Um, so nobody ever told me, like, get out of here, kid, run away, or go away. I sat in booking meetings in WCW in hotels where I just sat around with them at the table, and they never said, get out of here, kid, or who the fuck are you? Or... <laughs> I didn't know what I was sitting in on. I didn't because I didn't know. I was just like, dang, there's Mike Graham, there's Dusty Rose, there's Kevin Sullivan, there's Jim Ross. And I'm sitting here at the table with these people, but nobody tells me to beat it. I I always like I was poor, man, so I couldn't dress with and wear nice clothes. So I always wear dress clothes because it was cheaper. And, you know, I saw Sting and Lex Luger with the nice slacks and then the cowboy boots and then uh, rayon shirts and all that stuff. And that stuff was cheap to buy. So I would always look presentable. I never looked like a bummy kid. So, you know, it was a lot cheaper to wear that than to wear a pair of guest jeans or some Versace. I don't know what the name of you know. So I always looked presentable. And... I, I sat in on stuff, like I said, I still don't know, and they probably spoke in Kearney the whole time, and I had no idea, but um, from there, um, they just started doing stuff to me, like, come here, kid, and then grab me and pick me up for a suplex, and then I would arch my back to, like, go over, because I didn't know if I had a choice or not, and then they'd say, no, straighten your legs and stay straight up, you're going to hurt yourself that way. And then they tell me to exhale when I land, and boom. And then I was like, whoa, what? No, that's not how you do it. You got to, because I thought it was for real, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and they were like, all right, lock up with me. And I would lock up with them because I wrestled amateur wrestling. They're like, no, that's not how you lock up. I'm like, that is. That's how my coach taught me to lock up. You do lock up like that. I'm like, no, you lock up like this. So I'm arguing with them on how to lock up because... Again, I'm a, I'm a teenager, so I know everything. But my coach taught me how to lock up. You're not teaching me that. So anyway, <laughs> um, they would show me things and never smart me up. But I never ever asked was if fake or and I never I man I wanted to so many times, but I never did. So then I used to go on the road with them. Um, I used to travel the whole Midwest down to Louisville, Kentucky, up to Minnesota. And then that sometimes they would drop me back off in between in Milwaukee or sometimes I have to take the Greyhound bus from like Indiana or something like that, which was cool, man. It was the most fun. You know, I, I, I skipped school. I was like a, a, a hobo or something. I used to just pack up a, a garbage bag full of clothes and I had my walkman, throw it over my back, get on the city bus, and go to the Mecca. And then I'd ride off with them, and then I'd always get a ride back on a Greyhound. And, you know, I, I made more money doing that than I did wrestling <laughs> sometimes out here, which is crazy. But um, that was a lot of fun. So that's how I got into the business. And um, when I was 18 or 19, I actually started wrestling. So I was, I've been in the business now for 20, whoa, 28 years. That's scary. 28 years now. And then, like, what are the things that you're most accomp um, proud of throughout your career? The achievements? Uh, the most proud thing I, I, my, being myself, man. I, I have, I've been through a lot and I know more about myself than I ever have as a, because I had a couple of brain injuries and, um, which the crazy thing is sometimes that like awakens other parts of your brain and you just become self-conscious and conscious of so many other things. But my greatest accomplishment, I never, I never did a homosexual act for anyone. I never was approached, I, 
I don't know if I was or not because I couldn't pick up on the cue anyway. So I never had to do that. I never had to compromise uh, my integrity with anything. I never unwillingly did anything in a ring. Um, and I never, ever, ever shortcut anyone in any match. When you pay, and this is crazy, man. I wrestled in front of two people once. The show was paid for, so I didn't care. And, you know, the uh, promoter said, well, we can give you guys half your money and you don't have to wrestle. Or we can give you all your money and you will do the show for the two people. And I'm like, well, we're going to do the show for the two people. But we'll take half the money. That's, that's cool. I mean, look, man, there's two people here. So... <clears throat> The guys were like, all right, let's just do some quick bullshit and get out of here. I was like, hold up, hold up, hold up. You're not going to cheat those two people that paid to see you just because nobody else showed up. You get your ass out there and you entertain these people. You don't fucking try to uh, shortchange the two people. What, what, the, what did they do to deserve that? And we went out there. And we had so much fun. And the whole show was catered to them. It was great. It was great. It was a lot of fun. So, um, yeah, I never shortchanged anybody. I never sandbagged anybody. I never... I have injured a friend or two, and I do feel bad about that. But... Um, I guess my greatest accomplishment, some people might think it's minor to them, but this is me, honestly. As a child, I told myself I wanted to be one half of the NWA World Tag Team Champions. Not the NWA World Champion. I said I wanted to do that after, like, I don't know. I all I, it Hawk. Real Warrior Hawk was a big influence on me. So um, I wanted to be one half of the NWA World Tag Team Champions. And I called my shot as a child. I was probably 10 years old or 11 or 9, something like that. And I did it. And it don't matter how big or small a company was at the time. I I did it. So... Um, that was probably my greatest accomplishment. And this is another great, we were badass. I'm sorry. We were fucking, we were legit. So some days it was rough for some people that had to wrestle us. And we actually won those belts the first time, or we only won them once, but we won those belts because the guys that we were wrestling couldn't handle taking the beatings night after night from us. And they begged to lose to us because it didn't make sense anymore for them to take these beatings. So we damn near won the the things on legitimate reasons because we were bad as fuck. And we just were. And political things messed up what we could have done more outside of the NWA and um, that is probably one of the biggest things that hurts me but I wouldn't be here where I am right now if those things have happened maybe so I don't look at life like that anymore um, I can't be happier but yeah my greatest accomplishment was probably winning the NWA Tag team belts. Hmm. Yeah, I would say you kind of. I was hearing you when you was talking about like the homosexual act. So like people had to do that in wrestling. <laughs> you don't have to. <laughs> you could be like me. You don't have to. But I didn't know that. I was like, only, only only so far you're gonna. I'm not saying. I mean, it's not as bad as it was. I don't think. And now in the WWE, there's a publicly traded company, so I'm sure it's, yeah, I don't think it's like that anymore. But, um, yeah, 
man, there's places around here. There still are that are homosexually driven. And, you know, I have no problem with homosexuals. My best friend is homosexual. I don't know if I bust him out or not. <laughs> but <laughs> if not, if he, if so what? But I, but yeah, man, it, like I said, it has, I haven't come across it too much. Maybe just because people understood I didn't play that shit. So <laughs> I'm not offended. Even though I'm like, was I ugly to gay people and they didn't want to hit on me? No. <laughs> I was going to say, cause no, you, no, you, you no. had that story. Uh, you were saying you had a story about when you, you did respect disrespect the business or something? You said you are going to say it later? Oh, uh, yeah, 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 man. I was, um, man, it was right a couple of months after I first started working for WCW. And um, we went out the back door where the wrestlers go out to the rental cars. So that's when I was just a little smart-ass little punk bitch. That was the one time I was ever out of line in pro wrestling, I think. So we were out back, and <laughs> Tracy Smothers... Uh, Steve Armstrong, the Rock and Roll Express, and the Junkyard Dog were walking into a minivan. So I go, that must be the loser mobile. <laughs> Ooh, uh... See, the young, they were the young pistols, man. I hated them. I used to call them the young piss heads because I hated they were too baby facey bullshit. I hated the Young Pistols and Ricky Morgan and Robert Gibson. It was like the end of their rope, and they were like doing bullshit matches and jobs. They were probably Richard Morgan and something else. I don't know. And Junkyard was that was in his downtime, but I just couldn't resist the fucking joke because everybody else in all other cars, those were the top guys at the time. You know, like Sting and Luger and. The Steiner Brothers and Rick Rude and Steve Austin, you know, they were, and then, you know, they didn't write. So I had to take the shot because I was, I, I liked the bad guys at the time. I didn't like the good guys. So, and of course, it was real to me. So I got to take my shot. So I'm like, that looks like the loser mobile over there. And then <laughs> Tracy Smother goes, What? I said, You heard me. You see those belts y'all got around y'all waist? Later, later to be known as fanny packs. You know, they all had on the fanny packs and Zubaz. So I say, you see those uh, belts y'all got around the waist? That's the closest y'all gonna ever to get the championships around here. Wow. <laughs> and then, so Tracy's mother starts walking toward me. I'm like, hit me, I'll sue you. <laughs> So then the junkyard dog was like, I got you a mammy in the trunk. And I said, I don't even like my mother, so you ain't offending me. <laughs> wow. And um, I told Tracy's mother that story like 20 years later. <laughs> yeah, that was the one time I disrespected the businessman, but I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know. I didn't know. The next time I was like, well, they might remember me. I've been not saying nothing like that no more. <laughs> uh, and then you was talking about um, you was in WWF for a while. Was it WWF or WWE at the time? It was still WWF at the time. It was like right before they went public, publicly traded. Um, like the same, Kurt Angle started three months before I did. And I wrestled Kurt Angle for my tryout match, which was at the Bradley Center in Milwaukee, sold out. I, I was part of that, right? But they were chatting my name in that match, which was goddamn amazing to have the goddamn Bradley Center chatting my name. I didn't know half the people knew who the hell I was. And then I find out my father was in the crowd. My brother was in the crowd with a friend of his. My best friend from college was in the crowd. Like, oh, shit, this is crazy. But um, anyway, I wrestled Kurt Angle. And um, after the match, um, 
they pulled Kurt off to the side, and then they came back, and Terry Taylor was like, uh, we want to offer you a contract. Are you interested in working with us? And I'm like, yeah, man. Of course I am. So he was like, all right, we'll, we'll FedEx the contracts to you on Tuesday, and then um, we'll start getting you paid. And he's like, would you like some money tonight? I was like, y'all going to pay me? Yeah. <laughs> and I got, I got like four or five. 400 bucks on top of it that night. And then, you know, my check was in the fucking mail the next Wednesday. I was like, damn, this is tight. So um, I worked for them, and it's just crazy. They all they told me to keep working my independent dates. So I was working my independent dates, and um, I was supposed to go with Les Thatcher down in Cincinnati. So, um, at the time, Terry Taylor and Bruce Pritchard were both in charge of talent relations, um, either with developmental talent or all talent. I don't remember, but I think it was all talent. No, I'm sorry. You, here, hey, here's a crazy uh, factoid. I was the first hired developmental wrestler um that Terry Taylor ever hired. Hmm. So I was like his boy. And um, Bruce Pritchard and Terry Taylor hated each other. I mean, Terry would call me and he'd tell, man, they hate me up there. They just keep fucking with me. They just keep messing with me. So anyway, um, he would say, like, I would leave and go to lunch and then everything I wrote in the computer would be erased and Bruce just sabotaged me and you know, it was deep down dirty shit. So, um, one of my buddies was out in Germany going to college and I wasn't doing nothing but rest of my independent dates. And I wasn't, I was supposed to report to Les Thatcher like the end of November, I believe. So I was like, uh, Terry, you mind if I go visit my buddy in Germany for a week before I go to, uh, report to Cincinnati? He was like, oh yeah, go ahead. I was like, cool, man. You're going to be here when I get back, right? He's like, where am I going? Of course I'll be here. So I get over there. Three days into being over there, you know, this is when the internet first came out, man. So they were really behind over in Europe. I read on the internet, Terry Taylor leaves WWF and joins WCW. Man, my stomach just sank down into my asshole and I was just like... <laughs> We were getting ready to go eat. I was like, I don't feel like eating, dog. Just give me some vodka. You know, it's over. I'm like, motherfucker, man. Terry said he wasn't leaving. I, I jinxed this shit. I set it up with the stamina. You know, I'm like, fuck. So my stomach is just ugh, way at the bottom of my gut. So weeks go by. Weeks go by, and I'm like, Les, what's going on, man? He's like, I don't know. You're supposed to come here, but they haven't sent money for you, so I don't want you to come here and then not uh, be able to do anything. And I'm like, yeah, and I don't really want to move there and just have to sit there because I don't know nobody. The um, crazy thing was uh, Terry hired me and Ronnie Killings. Uh, uh, what's the name, Cade? R-Truth. R-Truth, yeah. yeah. We were supposed to be his Harlem Heat. Hmm. So we were supposed to be a tag team. But uh, Terry, I mean, uh, Ronnie is one of the last, or he is the last one of uh, the Crockett's boys. He was trained by the Crockett's. So he had a lot more strength than I did as far as political ties to the WWE. I had nothing but Terry Taylor. He stood up for me all the time. He was the one that believed in me. He's the one that hired me. So he left, and um, one day, it was a Friday night, me and my girlfriend were getting ready to go grocery shopping, and then the phone rang when I went out the door, so I came back in and answered. That was back before caller ID, all that <laughs> shit. I answered the phone. Hi, this is Bruce Pritchard from the WWF. How are you? I'm like, I'm good. How are you? He's like, I'm fine. Um... I got some bad news. We're going to have to terminate your contract. We just can't find anything for you. So we're going to pay you for the next 90 days. And, uh, yeah, we're just going to 
yeah, we can't find anything for you, so take care. And I was like, motherfucker. Damn. <laughs> motherfucker inspired me. But Terry told me, I said, when I got back home from Germany, I was like, Terry, what the fuck, man? He was like, I had to go home. I had to go home. I needed to be home. You know, WCW, my family's down there. I'm from Georgia. You know, they're based out of there. I was tired of being messed with. I was tired of being lived. I was tired of being fucked with. And I was like, all right, so you know I'm getting fired soon, right? <laughs> he said, yeah, I'm pretty sure you will be. So he said, when you, uh, when they fire you, just call me, and then we'll bring you down to the power plant, and then we'll sign you, and then you'll just join our developmental system. And I was like, cool. So um, it was still during my contract. We went down to developmental, to the power plant. It was me and Adam Pierce, who was actually one of the, is he a booker with Next or SmackDown? Or is yeah, he, yeah, he doing something. Yeah. Yeah, so it was actually me and him sent down there. And we were there with a guy named Champagne and a guy named, uh, He's the guy that was in that movie, like Wrestling with Shadows, the black dude with the, the amateur rest, Tony Jones, yeah. Tony Jones is there. Um, and I can't remember who else was with us. And then there was, on the other side, there was Sean O'Hare, Elick Skipper, Mike Sanders, um, that whole Chuck little crew they had. Yeah, yeah. Chuck Palumbo just started on TV, so he didn't have to do that shit no more. So he just came in and took a nap. The wall just came in and took a nap. Um, <clears throat> there's a guy that Danny Fakir, he was like five feet. I don't know what the fuck they ever saw in him. He was a five-foot dude. He was probably Middle Eastern, but he looked Asian. I don't know. But, uh, anyway, so... These dudes were like Paul Orndorff soldiers, you know. <laughs> and we're we're there. This is another great story. So we're there, and Adam Pierce was one of my best friends, or is, or whatever. So we were there, and we go upstairs and we get dressed, and you know they're like trying to intimidate us and shit. And I'm like, what the fuck is this? I've been in a business three years already. These dudes been training for three months, and they gonna like talk and treat us like we're the fucking, you know, uh, rookies and bums yeah. out here. Fuck this. So we go downstairs and we're doing calisthenics and we're in the middle of doing like squats or something. <clears throat> and all of a sudden fucking NBC cameras come rolling in, man. I looked at Adam. I said, dog, we about to be guinea pigs. He's like, what the fuck are you talking about? I said, they just brought cameras in here, bro, to show us getting blown the fuck up so they can show people how tough pro wrestling is and try to fucking punk us out. This is bullshit. So, first thing happens, I'm wearing like an independent wrestling t-shirt, whatever company it was, right? With the camera's rolling. Sergeant Buddy, Buddy Lee Parker is one of the trainers. <clears throat> this little steroided up motherfucking piece of shit, five foot four, and never could get over ass, gonna walk up to me, take that shirt off. And I had to look really far down to him, like way down. Man, I ain't taking my shirt off. Take that shirt off. Well, I said, dude, I'm not taking off my shirt. So then he goes and whispers to me, hey, man, I trained Kevin Nash. I trained DDP. I trained a giant brother. Just work with me here. I said, no, I'm not working with you. I'm not taking my shirt off. I'm not taking my <laughs> shirt off. And then uh, he got pissed. So he tried to blow us up with doing us, making us do 700 squats and 8,000 push-ups. I'm like, man, what the fuck is this? Was he doing it, was he doing he was it too, or were they just making y'all no. do it? Hell no, he wasn't doing oh, it too. Oh, so yeah, they don't say bullshit. 
So man, I'm like just I'm already ready to go home because I don't I didn't come here to fucking see how many squats and push-ups I could do. If I had a talent to be here, motherfucker, you need to judge and see if I could work or not and send my ass home. Not how many fucking squats I could do. Right. So now they put us in the ring, you know. And they're like, all right, guys, we want to see how many of you guys can amateur wrestle. I wrestle amateur because in high school, so I'm like, all right, this should be fun. So we get down there, and they put me with motherfucking, oh, 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 here's another part of this. <laughs> so everybody's working, everybody, and they're having fun doing little amateur wrestling matches. So now, Buddy Lee Parker, punk ass, gonna match me up with Sean O'Hare. Now, Sean O'Hare is a legit MMA fighter. This was before MMA wasn't even in wrestling, dude. There was no such thing as tapping uh, out or none of that shit. So we go in there, and we lock up, and we go, and I don't know who got a takedown. Maybe he did, maybe I did. I don't know. So we're on the ground. He goes for my ankle. I'm like, all right, he's going to give me an ankle pick. That's fine. When he does that, I'll do this, and I'll counter it. Next thing you know, this motherfucker twisting on my ankle, doing some... I'm like, what the fuck is that? And, and I slapped the mat like, what the fuck? This ain't wrestling. What the fuck are y'all doing? And then it, they just look like... <laughs> I'm like, they like, you want to try it again? I'm like, yeah, fuck it, let's go. So then we go again, and he's putting me in these joint locks and shit and popping my arms and my... Man, I was like, this is straight bullshit, man. I didn't come here for this shit. This ain't even... It's not wrestling, it's not amateur wrestling, pro wrestling, lucha libre, nothing. It was fucking MMA. Bitch, I didn't come here to see if I was an MMA fighter. So I'm like, Adam, this is straight bullshit, man. I didn't come here for this shit. So Adam goes in to break the tension. He's like, I'll wrestle him. So uh, Adam comes out to wrestle him. And uh, the match starts. And Adam just, as soon as he touches me, he drops to the ground and says, I tap out, and then everybody laughs, and then that breaks the tension. But it was just showing what, what kind of bitches they were, dude. They were like little high school jocks, and I always hated fucking high school jocks. They just annoyed the shit out of me. I was an athlete, but I had friends that were nerds and that smoked weed and that played hacky sack and that played football and they played violin. I wasn't just a stupid jock. And um, I just hated that jock mentality, bro. So that soured me. And that wasn't even half of it. They First, they matched me up with that Danny the Queer guy. And I'm 6'4", and he's 5'2", maybe. What kind of match are we going to have that's competitive and interesting? And then he's only been wrestling or training for two months on top of it. It was horrible. It was like I was sabotaged. So, um, Elix Skipper was working a small guy. And we had to watch all the matches. And this really pissed me off. So, the match comes on. And Elix's like, hey, boss, you got to watch this match. So, the match starts. And Elix, like, shoot kicks the guy in the ribs. Kicks him in the face. Punches him in the ribs, like, ooh, ooh, look at that. Ooh, I fucked him up, boss. Look at this one right here. And he's just, they're not working a match. He's taking liberties on the guy that came here to see if he had the talent to get a contract, and you just fucking shooting on him because he can't do nothing back to you because you got a contract and he don't. Hmm. It was bullshit. It was absolute bullshit. So I was like, I'm not coming back here tomorrow, dude. And then Pierce was like, all right, let's go. So we left the day early. And we get home, and Terry Taylor calls. He's like, hey, where'd you guys go? I was like, dude, that was bullshit what you sent us to. So he goes, uh, what happened? We told him what happened. Why didn't you tell me? Why should we have to tell you something like this, man? This is not how this shit goes, man. I didn't come here for this. And, um... Yeah, so Tony Jones called us and told us, hey, man, I saw you uh, You guys had contracts in the office. I didn't know why you left. 
I was like, ah, oh, motherfucker, that's only fitting. <laughs> so that was my brief encounter with WCW. And then the crazy thing was, um, so that was like Monday, Tuesday. We left Wednesday. I came home Thursday. I was hurting from wrestling fucking Sean O'Hare. Friday, I woke up to go lift weights and play basketball. And on the way to basketball, I was in a car accident and I broke my neck. Hmm. So after that, yeah, all contract shit was done for the rest of my life with, with that, besides my Ring of Honor contract. But um, yeah, so that was like a crazy point in my life that whole week. Yeah, I busted my neck and uh, it sidelined me for only 11 months because <laughs> yeah, I'm stubborn as hell. I was going to ask you, like, far as, like, how many injuries are you dealing with? Like, uh, is, you know, like, the movie The Wrestler, is it is that, like, kind of real or, or not really? Let me just say this. The movie The Wrestler is almost not real enough. It's even worse than that, man. It truly is. I don't know. See, like, this generation of wrestlers, I think a lot of them live with their mamas or something, so they don't have bills, and they just do it for fun on the weekends and not really trying to... That's how I feel. But people of the era of the wrestler, when they were really on the road, and if they didn't fucking wrestle, they didn't eat, and they became homeless, and they lost their... uh, wives from being on the road and their families from never being home that stuff is real and hitting rock bottom and living in the trailer park maybe yeah man it's that's real stuff i just didn't think it was real enough the only thing that wouldn't have ever happened was the promoter wouldn't send your money to the hospital he would just skip down and i'll pay you that was that was unrealistic but other than that yeah man that movie was it had my heart a couple of times. I haven't watched it since it first came out, but, man, it, it had my heart when I did watch it because I could relate to a lot of that stuff. Hmm. And what advice would you give to anybody that, that wanted to get into the wrestling business? Um, don't gossip. You have to advertise yourself because nobody else is going to do it. I made a major mistake when I was younger because back then there wasn't that many independent wrestling companies anyway. I thought I was doing myself, not myself, the people I worked for a favor by staying loyal to them and not going out to all these other companies, which in turn was I was hurting myself because I was limiting my exposure. So you have to wrestle in different places. You can't just stay in one place. You learn so many different things going to different parts of the country. And um, be prepared to lose money. It's it's a less than a 1% shot, bro. It really is. And I don't know the formula now because I'm a big guy, so I'm obsolete. I know it attracts a crowd. I know it sells tickets. But... I don't know how to create internet buzz, so I'm worthless. <laughs> so I I don't know what the new formula is for wrestling because it's not attracting new customers. It's catering to a little minority part of the fans, which are the smart fans. And you see with the decreased ratings, what smart fans actually do for you. They don't do shit for you. They don't buy your merchandise. And they just critique everything you do all day. So <laughs> you got what you got. But if you put some larger-in-life guys out there killing those little guys and making it look legit again, you can get children back into it. You were saying you already watch wrestling no more, right? No. No. It, it's, the reality is it's just not there. I, didn't, I never watched wrestling to see uh, Captain America fight Iceman. <laughs> that's that's a dueling battle. You want to see fun in that. No, I watch wrestling to see a dude beat another dude, not see how cool the match was. 
So it's gone. It, that's what the attraction is gone for me. It's gone for my generation. Um, and nothing can grab my heart because I know it's bullshit. All right. And I said we about to wrap it up, but I had one more question I forgot to ask you about. So when did you realize, because you were saying, like, you, you got into the business thinking it was real. So when was the moment that you realized, like, it wasn't, like, real, real? When, when did you realize that? Like, when was that? Like, this might... Because you said you didn't never ask nobody, so um, did you find that out? When I when I would start to travel with them, um, because one of the guys that I helped set up the ring with, he would do shows for the... Like, if a guy was stranded or missing, he would fill in. And, you know, he would say, oh, man, I bumped my ass off tonight. And I was like, you did that to yourself on purpose? What the fuck? No way. And then... um he started showing me what taking a bump was. So they were teaching me it as to protect myself. But um, when I learned it was, when I learned it wasn't, was when I actually went to a dude named Tom Rocky Stone's camp in Wisconsin. I went there with my friends. I was already in the business better than all of them because I was with WCW doing the traveling, but I needed somewhere to train. And the dude was telling me, oh, I need 1200 bucks and I need half bumps per front or you got to leave now. So they made me leave. But a buddy gave me this paper and it was called a theory sheet. And it was the seven steps to a match. When I read that, I started replaying matches in my head. And I was like, oh, that's how this works. So I took that stuff and I started watching people bump in slow motion on the VCR and see how they protected themselves. And I, I started going to my couch and laying backwards and falling on the floor taking bumps. And that's how I learned how to bump. Hmm. Just falling back on the floor until I did I didn't hit my head no more. Um, so yeah, my bumps I used to watch. I used to watch Chris Benoit bump when he was in Japan, Pez Wiley bump because he took that really nice high bump. And then somebody like Bret Hart bump. And I just saw that there are different kinds of bumps. And then I saw, you know, it told you the steps of the match, how you know, matches start hot, you know, some matches have to start establish a baby face in the heel. And that's when I learned it. Um, so, yep, that's it. So what would you like to say to your fans, people that have been supporting your career so far? Um, all three of you, I love y'all. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, uh, I can tell on your Facebook, see, like, you got a lot of interaction with people. See, like, people always comment on you through your Facebook and everything. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, I'd like to say... Thank you, and every one of you knew that I was probably the baddest dude in the locker room, whatever show I was ever on. If I won or lost, y'all know in real life who would have really won if I really fought who I was really fighting. So, <laughs> I'm legit. Most of these motherfuckers ain't no more, which hurts my heart because the business is not protected anymore, which would have preserved our legacy and our ability to draw. But we let in the nerds, they took over, and this is what we have. Um, the guys that are doing the flippity-flops should be managers or referees taking crazy bumps. They should never be wrestlers. Sorry, that's just the way it is. Or you stay in your own division. Um, I'm just all about being real. And my gimmick was me, and I'm my gimmick. And I'm a skull crusher. I do what I want. I try to be good to people, but don't fuck with me because then you got trouble. So I love y'all. Thank you. Thank you, Chris. And um, that's about it. <laughs>